Good morning, church family. How's everybody doing today? I hope okay. I am going to read for you a passage. It's a long passage, so, you know, get ready. Um, but this passage has been kicking my butt this week. Let's talk about it, okay? Uh, I'm going to read. It's from John 11, and it goes like this. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it says this. It says, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And accordingly, through Jesus, he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. When Jesus finally arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they will die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her were also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And when Jesus said these words, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what he had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the council and said, what are we to do? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, Everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. This is from John 11. Oh, boy. What a bizarre passage. Super bizarre passage. Let's let, uh, Okay, a couple bizarre things. Jesus knows that his friend is dying, and yet he stops, and he doesn't go to the place where his friend is. He waits till his friend dies. Odd, I know, right? In fact, the place where his friend dies is in Jerusalem, and people want to kill Jesus in Jerusalem. He goes there anyway. He waits until uh, Lazarus is in the tomb for four days. And Mary says, hey, Jesus, my brother is going to smell bad at this point. Um, this is where the King James Version is absolutely gold. Because the King James Version says, Lord, by this time, he stinketh. Oh, so good. I love stinketh, right? Uh, Lazarus is raised from the dead. And then scripture tells us that um, that he comes out looking like a mummy. All right. It's, it's an odd, odd story. And I got to tell you, like right now, this story is kicking my butt. And it's kicking my butt not because Lazarus is raised from the dead. In fact, I right now don't care. I don't care that Lazarus was raised from the dead. Maybe that sounds blasphemous. I don't know. But um, but here's the thing. And, and, and this is the thing. There's other miracles in this story. 
I want to talk about the other miracle I see in this story. In fact, here's the miracle that I see in this story. When I drill down into this story, the thing that strikes me and moves me and calls me to preach is grief. So I'm going to retitle this story and I'm going to call it the miracle of grief. Because honestly, y'all, right now, I'm grieving. I'm tired right now. I just feel spiritually tired. I feel emotionally tired. I feel physically tired. I just, I feel the weight. You know, I feel the weight right, right here. And so I need to address that. I need to think about that. And I, and I want the spirit to move through that. And I hope in this way it does the same for you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to break this passage apart a little bit. I'm going to start right here. I'm going to start right where Martha talks to Jesus. This is what she says to him. She says, Martha, or I'm sorry, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, if you've been listening to our Theology Thursday, Sarah New and I are doing this Theological Thursday thing. It's fun. Um, You know that we've talked about the afterlife a little bit. And so in the Jewish tradition, the afterlife is shul, which uh, is is kind of um, an objective afterlife. It's not bad. It's not good. just is. But then there's this whole group of people, uh, of, of Jewish people, who believe in what's called the consolation. And the consolation means that at the end, whatever the end is, whatever the end looks like, that everyone will be resurrected. Everyone will get a chance to live together again. And for this group of people who believe in the consolation, this is what shapes their every day, right? It's the hope that that they all get to be with each other once again. And so Mary says, or so Martha says, hey, you know, I know my, I'll see my brother again. Uh, and I know it's going to happen during the consolation. And then Jesus throws a giant wrench into that. And Jesus goes, no, you don't get it. I am the resurrection and the life, right? I'm the one. Like, I'm the one that's going to to talk about what living really looks like. And I think the first thing we have to understand when we read this passage is Jesus is absolutely upending Mary and Martha and everyone that's with them, upending their certainty. And Jesus is upending their security and Jesus is upending every sense of normalcy that they might have just by saying that, right? He's, he's, he's sort of pulling the brick out and all the bricks come crumbling down and now they don't know what to believe when they hear that. And I think we have to understand how important that is. And I think we could probably, you know, in some ways, I think we can relate. I think for some of us who are going through the deconstruction, reconstruction phase of our faith, there have been ways in which we're like, wow, This doesn't make sense to me anymore. Do I need to get rid of my entire faith? Um, Or this this doesn't, I've always been taught that God doesn't like this or God likes that. And now I don't know if that's true anymore. And I don't know what to do. And I'm in crisis. But bigger than that right now is the fact that our certainty has been upended. Our security has been upended. Our idea of normalcy has been upended. You see, what's going on with Mary and Martha is going on for us right now. It's just the upending of anything that that makes us feel like we're okay and makes us feel like we're alive. I um, I used to go to Kentucky when I was a kid. My grandparents lived in Kentucky. So I'd fly from New York to Kentucky. And uh, this is pre-9-11. And when I did this, uh, I, would, I would come off the plane and I would, you know, walk down the jetway and there my grandparents would be. Did you know that? If you're old enough, do you remember this? That 
pre 9-11, you could actually go right to the gate and meet whoever was flying to come and see you. Like there was no like, oh, waiting area over here. You have to go through security only if you're flying. No, anybody could. It was like this amazing thing. And so I would get off the plane and my grandma was always a little embarrassing. God rest her soul. She always would like run. She'd run over and like move people out of the way and come and give me a hug. And my grandpa would just kind of sit there smiling with like this look of satisfaction on his face. It was, it was kind of cool. And then I, and then 9-11 happened. I was 22 years old when 9-11 happened. And a couple months later, I went back to the airport and sure enough, the lines were, you know, hours long, right? And if you didn't have a ticket, you weren't getting in. And I remember just kind of mourning and being like, oh man, like remember when people could just be anywhere in the airport with you and they could meet you. Remember when security lines were like literally five minutes long and, and all the rest. And I was like, things are so different. Like that's been taken from me. And with this, this has been taken from us, right? This isn't just something that happens at an airport. This is our life. Like the certainty that things are okay, that's been taken from us. The idea uh, that we are secure, that's been taken from us on a large scale. The idea that, that we can be certain that everything's going, you know, it's going to work out. We're not going to have to deal with pandemic. We're not going to have to deal with any issues. That has been taken from us. And what do we do when things are taken from us? Well, I think in some ways we kind of act like the, the Pharisees. We, we do this and says this. It says the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the council and said, what are we to do? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come to destroy both our holy place and our nation. What we do is we say, hey, I want to keep it normal. I want to keep it the way it is. I, I, I don't want to mess with this at all. And, and so we start going through those first stages of grief, right? Denial, anger, and bargaining. Well, I'm just going to pretend that this doesn't exist and I'm not going to wear a mask because that's ridiculous and it's my right not to. Or I'm going to be angry and I'm going to go protest my right, right? Or I'm going to... Um, you know, whatever the case may be, or, or, or I'm going to bargain, right? I'm, oh, churches can reopen now, okay? Even though it's not safe, let's do that because it gets us back to a place where everything doesn't feel upended and I have a little sense of certainty again, right? And, and I think what Jesus is showing us here by upending certainty, by upending belief, by upending security for Mary and Martha and everyone with her, is Jesus is showing us that is, is essential, it is essential to have to go through this kind of grief. It's essential to feel like we are outside of grace. It is essential for us to feel outside of security. It does, stinks, right? It stinketh. It feels like we've been abandoned, but it matters in God's kingdom. God says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and then he starts to show us what it looks like to be the resurrection and the life. And the first thing we are shown is that our grief does not need denial, it does not need anger, it does not need bargaining, as much as those are important steps. But we need to know that the resurrection and life means that it is okay to feel upended. It is okay to feel grief. And it's okay to acknowledge that this all stinks. It's okay to acknowledge that. And so when I think about 9-11 and all that happening, and I, I think about, you know, the remember when, remember when we didn't have to, I don't even know what the remember when is going to look like. Remember when what? We couldn't shake hands or we could shake hands. Remember when we could hug? I, I don't even know yet. But I think part of the miracle is that Jesus is showing us that it's okay not to know. It's okay to grieve what's going on right now. That's an okay thing. 
right? We don't have to be like the Pharisees who are like, I just want to go back to normal. There is no normal anymore. You see, grief, any kind of loss, like grieving any kind of loss is a miracle. It shows us what it looks like to be fully alive. Do not be afraid of it. Right? Do not try to push it away. Don't take dumb drugs to try to get rid of it. Like, you know, don't like go protest at a Capitol to try to get rid of it. Just embrace it. And when we start to embrace it, what happens? Well, Jesus shows us what it looks like. Jesus shows us what happens. It says, Jesus began to weep. Jesus began to weep. Did you know that's the shortest verse in all of scripture? Powerful though. Jesus began to weep. So two weeks ago, my grandfather died. Uh, and he was 96 years old. And yes, it was the same grandfather who used to meet me at the airport. And he died. And uh, on the day he died, I went outside to, to the porch. And I sat on the porch and I started crying. And I started crying hard. Now, you, you know me. I'm kind of an emotional guy anyway. But I felt embarrassed. I was like, I, I don't want to cry. I don't I don't want to cry about this. He was 96. And, you know, when people would say to me, well, you know, hey, I'm really sorry your grandfather died. I would say, oh, no, no, it was his time. You know, he, he was old. In fact, the last time I saw him, which was about four months ago, it took him a while to know uh, for him to recognize me, to know who I was. And that wasn't necessarily my grandfather anymore. You see, my grandfather, he was a pastor as well. And um, he was a, like a really good pastor, like the kind of pastor that sits with you for hours. Um I remember asking my grandfather questions uh, just about scripture, about Jesus, or about anything. And my grandfather would, would sit back and he'd say, well, Jonathan, I don't know. And I love that, right? It's sort of how we got to the place where our church says we're more interested in good questions rather than having right answers. It kind of comes from him. When my dad came out as trans eight years ago, my 88-year-old retired pastor grandfather living in Kentucky embraced my dad and told her he was proud of her. It's the kind of man he was, right? He was that kind of man. And yet the entire time I was grieving, I was like, I should not be grieving this. I felt super embarrassed. Jesus, Jesus began to weep. Jesus began to weep. And when you read commentaries around this, people try to explain away Jesus's grief. Oh, Jesus was grieving because Mary and Martha didn't believe in miracles. Or Jesus was grieving because, you know, the Pharisees that were there were conspiring to kill him. Or, or you know, Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He didn't really need to grieve. I, I love that Jesus grieves. I love it. It's part of the miracle. And I was listening to a podcast last week. And in the podcast, there's a, a grief specialist, and his name is David Kessler. And Davis, David Kessler said something that struck me to the core. He said, the worst loss is always your loss. The worst loss is always your loss. And that struck me. You see, we don't need to explain away Jesus's grief here. We don't. And what hit me was I don't need to explain away my grief around my grandfather. The worst loss is my loss. The worst loss is your loss. And in the midst of this miracle of grief, I think, I think we're hesitant to just kind of let go and grieve. I think we're always sitting there going, you know what? Um, well, that person there is sick or that person lost somebody else. Well, it's just my grandfather that died. And I should be so lucky as to have had a grandfather into my 40s, right? But, you know, if somebody loses a mom or a sibling or a child or whatever the case may be, like that's real grief. That's when you really deserve to grieve. The worst loss 
is your loss, is my loss, is our loss. And so there are many of us right now who are sitting there and we're going, you know what, I don't want to grieve this because, you know, there are people who have it way worse. There are people who are sick, they can't get back to New York, or, or maybe they're stuck in New York, whatever the case may be. And, and I, should, I should not grieve. I shouldn't do that. I should let them grieve instead, or I should grieve them. Hey, it can be both. It can absolutely be both. What we don't want to do is we don't want to become comparative sufferers. We don't want to do that. What I saw myself doing was creating this hierarchy, right? A hierarchy of grief. And so what would happen is my, is my grief isn't deserving, uh, right? I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't grieve because it was my, my 96-year-old grandfather, or I shouldn't grieve because everything is relatively okay. And so all of a sudden, not only am I judging myself, but I begin to judge others. Oh, they shouldn't grieve either. You see, they're fine. Like, they're okay. Well, who, we, really need, you know, we really need to let these people over here. No. The worst loss is our loss. You know what happens when we create a hierarchy of grief, we create that judgment. And you know what we falsely believe? We falsely believe that all judgment deserves punishment. That's a false belief that I'll preach on another time. But, but that's deep ingrained in us. Judgment deserves punishment. And so when we judge other people and we judge their grief, we not want to punish them for their grief. We now want to explain their grief away. We now want to tell them that their grief is not valid. We now want to tell them, um, like we say with Jesus in our commentaries, well, you know, Jesus didn't need to grieve, but he did it for this. No, everybody's grief is valid. And the miracle in this story is that Jesus shows us in order to be fully human, in order to be a part of the resurrection, in order to become part of the kingdom of God, in order to have new life, grief is essential to all of it. And to create a hierarchy or to judge it or, or, or to suppress it or to dismantle it goes against God's kingdom coming to this place. Your grief, my grief, is the worst grief. And it's okay to say that. And so I acknowledge that doesn't matter how old my grandfather was. I am sad. I am sad that we don't get to, to honor him. I'm sad that none of us got to go and, and, and talk about what kind of man he was. I'm sad that we didn't get to fly and be together as a family in eastern Kentucky, which is where my ancestors are from. I'm, I'm sad about all of that. And I'm even more sad that the church doesn't see the miracle of grief. I'm sad that more often than not, people say, if you're grieving... It means you don't have hope in Jesus. Or if you're grieving, you know, let the Spirit of the Lord take you on. There's no need for grief. And, and I love this quote. It says, when the evangelical churches theologize happiness, sadness becomes a scarlet letter. It's embroidered proof of spiritual failure. And yet, the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, was manifest not in happiness or in success, but in a life of sadness and affliction and erasing sadness from our culture. You know what else we do? We erase Christ. Jesus weeps, and we have the miracle of grief, and we get to learn that the worst loss is our loss. The miracle in this story is not the resurrection of Jesus' friend. The miracle of this story is that when life gets upended and is no longer normal, and when we lose security and when we lose safety, that grief makes us whole. That grief is the thing that allows us to, to commune with Jesus Christ, to commune with the kingdom of God. The miracle is an invitation to die a thousand deaths, 
It's an invitation to die to ourselves, to our expectations, to our timelines, to our ideas, to our status quo, to our safety, to our certainty, and whatever else it is I'm missing. This is a miracle, and it's an invitation to grieve all that has come and all that will come. Today, the good news is this. The good news is that death stinks. It stinks, and it's not what it should be. And that grief makes us whole. So here's the challenge that I have for us today. Grief. <laughs> I know, huge, right? Simple. Uh, and, it's, and, and, and here's what I want us to pay attention to. I want us to pay attention to what it is we envy. What do you envy today? Now, we're always told that envy is a bad thing, right? And I think we're talking more about material envy. Like, listen, I, I don't know what it is in me, but I've always wanted an Audi. Maybe one day I'll get one. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like a little jealous of people who have Audis, but that's not the kind of envy I'm talking about. I'm not talking about material envy. You know, what is the thing that you see it and it, mm, this makes me angry. Oh, or, oh, I can't believe that that person did this or I can't believe it's happening. I know for me right now, I'm angry, like really angry about people who are holding church services. And what I started to realize is I was like, I'm actually envious of people who are holding church services. I know it's not right. I, I, we're in no shape to, you know, we're, we're not even close to being ready to go back and being in physical space with each other. But I'm envious because I miss my community. I miss hugging each of you. I miss seeing you. I miss being able to talk to you about what's going on. I miss singing together. I miss taking communion together. I miss that physical connection, right? And so I'm paying attention to what I'm envious of because what I'm envious of gets me to the, uh, the place or gets me to the thing that I have to grieve. And I have to grieve not being with you right now. What do you envy right now? What are you envious of? Pay attention to it because that thing, it, it might be what you need to grieve. It might be what you need to let out. And once you get to that place, do not do it alone. Don't grieve alone. I've been trying to grieve alone, and I gotta tell you, even in preaching this message right now, I am so thankful. I'm so thankful that you are a church community that allows us to be vulnerable. I'm thank you that you are a church community that allows leadership to be sad when we need to be sad, to be depressed when we need to be depressed. Thank you for being that church community. I'm glad that I don't have to grieve alone. You don't have to grieve alone either. We have a care team, and it was started by Xenifa uh, Frank, and it's amazing, and there are incredible people on it already. But if you have grief, reach out. We'll connect you to our care team. We'll connect you to counseling. We'll connect you to people who can help you process your grief. You are not alone in it. And your loss is important. Your loss is the worst loss, right? You don't have to push it away. You don't have to try to go back to normal. Grieve it. It's okay. Grieve it in community. Uh, in, our, in groups, join a group. You know, I, I ended up joining the second Crown Heights group. And when my grandfather got sick, I felt really embarrassed doing this, and I did it anyway. I just sent a, a message in our WhatsApp group, and I said, hey, all, I'm not doing well. Can you pray? And you had a group of people, some of who I don't even know that well, who all responded, I'm praying. I, I'm, I'm here for you. We're, we're, we're going to go through this together. And that was amazing. It was important. And it shows me what living life fully in Christ looks like. It shows me what the kingdom of God looks like. Where are you envious? Pay attention to that because that's a place where you might need to grieve. And don't grieve alone. Don't grieve alone. Because the miracle, 
The miracle is that we are fully alive and that we are fully a part of the kingdom of God when we acknowledge that grief is essential. And so I'm not going to wrap this up nicely. I'm not going to say, okay, everybody, like hope is coming and joy is coming and it's all coming and it's going to be great. You know what? It is. And I believe that. But today I want to focus on the fact that this all stinks. And I want to focus on the fact that we're all tired. And I want to focus on the fact that Jesus tells us, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, when Jesus says this, he shows us what that looks like by the infinite and unimaginable coming to this earth and weeping and weeping. So own it and feel it. Throw away the shame that comes with it and throw away the idea that judgment needs to happen and throw it all away and be sad and be sad that it's Memorial Day weekend and our plans are a bit upended and be sad and grieve the fact that you're tired and grieve the fact that we're doing this online and grieve all of it because my friends, it is a miracle. And it is a miracle that comes right from God and it's a miracle shown to us by Jesus Christ. And this, our grief, is the miracle that brings new life. And to that I say amen and amen. Will you pray with me? Oh, God, thank you for allowing us to feel what we feel. God, give us the courage to feel grief. Give us the courage to move beyond our denial and our anger. Give us the courage to be sad. Give us the courage to be sad together. Give us the courage to reach out to one another. Give us the courage to grieve in community. And God, thank you for the hope that comes with the resurrection and the life that is Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.